Hey folks, it's Mo Amir, and this is actually a special presentation. I was on the Dash podcast with David Eby, who of course is the Attorney General of British Columbia and the BC Minister responsible for housing. Of course, in late 2019, David Eby graced this podcast, This is Van Culler, on episode 56. It's a bit dated now, but it still holds up in some areas. I got his promise that he will be back on this show at some point later in the year. In the meantime, he has his own podcast and it's really good. The lovely Megan Solly co-hosts and it's a short and sweet weekly podcast that you should definitely subscribe to if you're interested in BC politics. This is the full episode that I was on. I had so much fun, so I hope you enjoy it. So after you listen to this, make sure you go and find and then subscribe, rate and review The Dash with David Eby wherever you you listen to your podcasts. Welcome to The Dash with David Eby. I'm your host, Megan Solly. And once again, we have a special guest today. We're joined by Mo Amir. And for those of our listeners who don't know, Mo is the host of the This is Van Color podcast on CKNW. Um, if you haven't listened yet, you absolutely should. And uh, he's also a columnist with Vancouver is Awesome. So we've reached the depths of the podcast universe where it's just podcasters hosting other podcasters. Um, it's uh, it's Russian nesting podcasts. Welcome, Mo. <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, first of all, it's a pleasure to be here. It is always a pleasure to chat with Mr. Eby. Uh, I just want to say something. Listen, I've made it known that David Eby was my dream guest. And in my second year of podcasting, David, you did me the honor of, of being on This Is Van Color. It was a dream come true. But here's the thing, and you better not edit this out. You are excellent at everything you do. You brought down ICBC rates. You're clamping down on money laundering in this province. I know you're going to carry on the success of my friend Selena on the housing file. And I know that affordability doesn't happen overnight, but I am confident that you are going to build on what she's done to see it through. So what do you do in podcasting, man? (laughs) In a short time, I built Vancouver's Bonafide Culture and Politics podcast, and here you are cutting me off in my lane. I can't compete with you, Mr. Eby. You're the hottest thing in this space, and I dominated this space last year, but people are over me. All I'm hearing is, oh my God, have you heard the dash with David Eby? Well, of course I've heard the dash with David Eby. David Eby is one of my favorite guests. I thought we were bros and now you're drinking my milkshake, man. Mo, I don't don't know what to say to high profile guest, (laughs) Momir. Thrilled to have you on the show. Uh, I am shamelessly uh, using you in partnership with my pal, Megan. Uh, to boost our numbers, you know as well as I do that we have a fraction of your listenership. They are passionate, uh, they are enthusiastic, but we have a smaller crew than you do. So this is a this is a shameless hopping on your back. Uh, he's not heavy; he's a politician kind of scenario for you, Mo, and uh, and we appreciate it. To be clear, to be clear, I am kidding. I welcome everyone into the podcasting space, except for that podcast that's funded by the Independent Contractors and Business Association. You know the one, you know the one that lies about Bowen Ma? Of course you don't, because no one listens to that one. So I've never heard of it, to tell you the truth. I love everyone in this space. I love everyone in this space, except for those guys. Those guys can beat it. Yeah, oddly enough, I don't think that's on our radar. So uh, I don't know how we missed this, way. Mo, to tell you the truth, but, uh, but we'll, we'll check it out. You know, Mo, you might not be 
be familiar, but, what, but we have a new segment beep, beep, on this beep, show beep, called beep, beep, the Kevin Falcon Report. The Falcon yeah. Report. Oh, okay. <laughs> and uh, today on the Falcon Report, there's some there's some news uh, that is broken, and it sounds like Kevin Falcon might have a challenger in his bid to become the next leader of the BC Liberal Party. David, have you heard this? I'm, wor- I'm worried, Mo, uh, and would understand if you weren't immediately up to date on my positioning on the BC Liberal leadership race, but I'm a Kevin Falcon man. I think they just missed slightly with Mr. Wilkinson and uh, and to stay firmly entrenched in the elite Shaughnessy model, I think will be successful for them next time. So I'm backing Falcon. So I'm worried. There's a gentleman named Aaron Gunn, BC proud uh, oriented kind of guy. And I'm concerned uh, that this kind of populist campaign on federal issues might win the provincial leadership. So I actually have some insight into this. Ooh. This is why we have you on, Mo. You got the intel. <laughs> this is why we asked a journalist to show up to our podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so weirdly enough, and I hope I don't get quote unquote canceled for this, uh, Aaron Gunn and I are kind of bros now. Uh, wow. <laughs> I posted something on Twitter about that website popping up because I saw it as a Facebook ad and I was very curious. And, um, you know, long story short, we ended up, uh, chatting on the phone for about an hour. I think he does have uh, an army of supporters. You look at his Facebook following. I mean, 50,000 followers on Facebook is no joke. Y- you go through his videos, and I think as Mr. E.B. correctly pointed out, it's mostly federal issues, which is kind of the weird part. And he's mostly focused on resource development, of course, cutting taxes. But he has really stayed away from culture war, social conservatism stuff when it comes to, you know, LGBTQ issues or issues about race. He's touched on systemic racism a little bit, saying that Canada is not a racist country, which, again, I think simplifies the argument. To be honest, we got along pretty well. I think we are both populist, but from different sides of the uh, the spectrum. I, I think at the end of the day, he's going to be a disruptor if he runs, and it's going to be really fascinating. So there's two uh, pieces of this, Mo, that are really interesting to me. One is uh, how the nomination races actually work and the mistake that sometimes uh, everyone can make in relation to high-profile candidates like Falcon, and how uh, nomination contests actually work within the BC Liberal Party itself. So nomination contests generally, you need someone to go out, take a membership in the party, and actually vote. And if you can't do that, you can't win a nomination. It doesn't matter how many MLAs are standing behind you. It doesn't matter how much the media likes you. None of these things matter compared to people taking out memberships and voting. And for the BC Liberals, they have a sort of a proportional representation kind of model for their leadership selection where you have to win those constituencies. This is something Christy Clark figured out, won the nomination with only one MLA backing her and everyone else writing her off because she knew how the game worked. And so Mr. Gunn, I don't know him, but if he is as active on Facebook as uh, your experienced assessment tells us he is, Uh, he might be able to motivate people to join the party. And this is the Donald Trump factor the Republicans are dealing with in the U.S., which is a highly motivated small base that can win and direct nominations, but might not be enough to win generally. And that is, I'm sure, very uh, alarming for the BC Liberals. I joke that I'm worried about Kevin Falcon's bid, but I mean, legitimately, he could be threatened by someone who knows how to work social media. I think you're, I think you're absolutely right. Like it, it will be an experiment and a test of whether social media engagement, which he does have, translates into actual support and whether people will back him. He could be very dangerous, but again, it's going to be an experiment. It's, this is a new type of candidate that we've, we haven't really seen in BC at least. 
Well, um, I did want to talk to you, you know, Mo, you've kind of foreshadowed our, our topic for today, but uh, today we wanted to talk about something that uh, is on everybody's minds, and that is cancel culture. And it may be top of mind for some people because of the evolving situation with social media platforms taking action to remove Donald Trump from their platforms, uh, but closer to home, it's also been in the news. So uh, recently, the Georgia Strait did an article about Don Wilson, lawyer and leader of the BC Libertarian Party and his concerns about cancel culture suppressing conservative voices. Um, but Mo, you also last week uh, did a quick spot in your This is Van Color moment, um, a short clip on Twitter in which you argued, you know, there's no such thing as cancel culture, um, only consequences. So I, I was wondering, you know, why were you compelled to make that that Van Color moment at this time? Is it Was it in response to something or were you just thinking out loud? Because I'm tired of whiny right-wing talking heads talking about cancel culture. I mean, the reality is we have always, as a civilization, socially ostracized people who are either disruptive in a in a very negative way or even maybe not even a, a negative way. This is something that's always occurred. The idea of cancel culture that I think a lot of people are perpetuating is that you can say the wrong thing on the internet and have your life ruined. Now, a lot of people point to the Justine Sacco case in the United States. So this was a young lady who was on a trip to Africa and she tweeted a a joke, effectively. I mean, you could even read what she tweeted as like a parody or satirical commentary on white privilege if you wanted to. But the reality is there's more offensive material on Netflix than perhaps what she tweeted. So people point to that as like the norm when I think it's more of an outlier. And when we look at Canada specifically, I don't really see many examples of this quote-unquote cancel culture. I mean, people bring up Don Cherry. Don Cherry said, the you people, you come here, you enjoy our milk and honey line. And he was given ample opportunity to walk it back, and he refused to do it. And he could have easily walked it back and said, hey, that's not what I meant. Or you know what? Sometimes on live TV, you say the wrong thing. He didn't do it. I mean, he almost in in not apologizing or not walking it back. He almost confirmed the the worst fears of what he meant. Uh, people point to, you know, Jordan Peterson, who brings up a very anti-Semitic trope of cultural Marxism. I'm pretty sure Jordan's books are still on the top 10 bestsellers list. So <laughs> I'm not sure he's been canceled. Exactly, yeah. right? These guys are still around. Don Cherry is still there. Stockwell Day. Stockwell Day uh, equates systemic racism with being called four eyes in school, in grade school. And, you know, he's taken off power in politics. And suddenly that's cancel culture. You know what that is? That's just the network realizing that this guy is out of touch. Regular old consequences, yeah. Exactly. So I, I don't really see this idea of cancel culture. I, I don't know why the right is so obsessed with uh, every time someone says your opinion sucks or, or your opinion is wrong, they suddenly point to cancel culture a, as the reason. And again, I think it just comes down to consequences. And there's always been social consequences for behavior or actions that are not welcome or not liked within the culture. And the truth is the culture has moved in a progressive way where LGBTQ slurs, the ableist slurs that maybe you could get away with in a past decade are not tolerated. And I think that's a good thing. 
And David, we've talked about it on this podcast before, because one of the the things that um, Mo mentioned in his piece was uh, Barry Newfeld. Can politicians or people who are public representatives ever really actually be canceled? It is a really important lesson about knowing how you get elected and who your base is, right? I think that in politics, it's different. You could maybe uh, solicit this kind of condemnation from uh, from me and you and Mo. And if Barry believes that the people who vote for him see this as sort of political correctness gone awry or whatever, then that's actually good news for his politics. And that uh, is something we can't lose track of is if you understand that your base is separated from the majority of society because of some gerrymandered situation, or you represent a particular community that has a different perspective, you can actually enable and embolden sometimes. I hope that it's consequence culture, you know, when we like, I hope there are real consequences, because the risk of there being uh, apparent consequences without actual consequences, like actually removing people like Mr. Newfeld, that uh, enables and emboldens, even though notionally the person's been canceled. So I think that's an important distinction around politicians in, in this discussion. And if I can just add to that, I think one important piece as well, every case has to be taken by a case-by-case basis. Mr. Eby, I'm sure you were an angel growing up, but if you had said something during your high school years that suddenly came up and, and someone brought that up, you know, are we able to forgive that? I would hope so. You know, I would hope that we're able to say, People were young and dumb and, and people make mistakes, but it's a different thing when it's current. If you say something or do something or believe in something today. And so when we talk about cancel culture, we talk about online shaming. I also do think that we should have some leniency, some form of forgiveness for certain things. Again, it all depends on what it is depending on the context. And there's this fear that like every sin that you've ever committed is going to be dredged up and you're going to be canceled because of it. Well, the truth is everyone has things they've done or said that they're embarrassed about. They're probably non-criminal, but they're still embarrassed about it. I just think the fear is is overblown and hyped. And I, I think it's just a way for, again, it's fear-mongering to, to rally a base, I think. Enjoying this episode? You can stay tuned every week by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Find the links at thedashpod.ca. And it strikes me that I'm I'm sitting here with a, a journalist and a lawyer. You know, both not a journalist, both. just a, just a commentator, editorialist, interviewer. Well, I mean, well, we'll we'll, we'll coach it in that. I think that you do a pretty good job of journalism. But you know, both people whose careers are dependent on your ability to do your job effectively is dependent on your reputation to an extent. And so, you know, I think as a person who has been to both journalism school and law school now, I can kind of uh, sit in the middle and opine on this. But I guess my question is, you know, you've always been in a position in these particular uh, industries where your reputation is front and center. So do you feel like something has changed? You know, has there been a shift? Is this different than it was before? Um, Is it the technology that makes it new? I think part of it is that you do have to be very deliberate and very careful with what you're saying. I've certainly tweeted things in sarcasm, nothing offensive, but I've tweeted things in sarcasm where people thought I was being completely true. I was making fun of the proposed PST cut and people were like, how could you, Mo? How could you betray us? And you're, you're spouting a BC liberal line. And I'm like, do you not see the sarcasm and the emojis and everything else in, in this tweet? And so you have to be very deliberate, very careful. 
in terms of how things are translated to an online medium. You have to understand that sometimes people are going to take clips and they're going to take them out of context. There is, I think, a hyper-awareness because we have so much accessibility to information. It's not just the six o'clock news or the newspaper that we're reading. It's literally every second of every day you can have access to what's going on in media and in politics. What we're seeing in terms of cancel culture or socially ostracizing people it's just in hyperspeed with with technology and, and with social media. You know, I've talked about the concern I've had about reputation, how it's shifted through my political career. So very early on, I was very vulnerable to charges by the BC Liberals that I, about uh, extremism and like EB so far out that Christy Clark dropped a leaflet on my best poll doorstep saying EB wants to put porn on all the ferries and and have polygamy in British Columbia, whatever craziness, right? And and uh, I was freaking out, you know, like I was just, oh my gosh, you know, that this is, because people didn't know me. And I actually had someone come and say, like, I, you know, I support the NDP, but I don't understand why you made the campaign about drugs. And I was like, what do you mean about drugs? She's like, well, I saw your leaflet that it was all about drugs for you. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, the housing person, <laughs> like, why, why would you? And then I realized she'd seen that leaflet. So in the early stages of your career, you're very vulnerable to that kind of thing, whether it's back room, like most talking about or front room. Um, but after people get to know you, after you hit a certain level, then, you know, it, it forms part of the narrative. So if someone comes after you, you know, the realtors or someone from BC Lottery Corporation, you know, just to choose a couple of <laughs> random groups. <laughs> But I mean, but people weave it into an error. Oh, I understand the context of this. But if there's no context for you, they're like, oh, man, this this guy's a nut. And so, Mo, you must feel that in your career. Like, yeah. do you feel that transition? Do you feel that transition for yourself that you're sort of immune to these kinds of attacks now and it might actually help you in a certain way? Yeah. In some ways, you know, you can use controversy to your advantage and, and that <laughs> and, and I've tried to do that. But in other ways, you know, at the end of the day, you just focus on what you're doing. Uh, I feel like I've developed enough friendships and relationships in both media and politics that I'm not worried. You know, right now I do feel like the BC liberals are giving me a, a cold shoulder. I don't know if anyone wants to be on my podcast. I can't help that. So I'm going to lean on having the BC Greens on and having the BC NDP on and maybe even Aaron Gunn on, you know, like you just have to work around it. And eventually I think people come around and they realize the platform I give them. I mean, you look at the interviews setting aside the Wilkinson interviews, because that was him. I really <laughs> did not try to bait him into anything. But you look at the interviews with Todd Stone and Jazz Johal, they sounded fantastic. They sounded very likable, very persuasive. And it's an opportunity for them to explain themselves. So I think when it comes to reputation, I know who I am. I know mistakes that I've made. And I'm comfortable in swinging for the fences. The, what I will also say is that comes from a, a place of privilege, because I am relatively independently wealthy. So walking away from all of this is not a big deal. I don't, you know, I'm not counting on my dinner based on what happens on the podcast. So there is a sense of privilege as well that I'm able to do that, whereas maybe some people are not. But absolutely, I mean, especially in a small city like Vancouver, reputation is the name of the game. But I also like to think of it, and maybe you like this as well, I like to think of it as like an 80-20 ratio. If 80% of people are like what you do and, and they're fans of yours and 20% uh, hate your guts, I, I think that's still a good, a good ratio to run. This is something that I'm... Uh, interested because, you know, as a politician, I represent a community, including everyone who voted against me. 
But at the same time, you know, you cannot please all the people all the time. And if you try to, you will lose the next election. But I, I think that it is a huge mistake for groups, in this case, the BC Liberals. And in the NDP, um, I have had a reluctance, I'll own this, to go on to more conservative media uh, interviews and so on. But I always do it even though I'm reluctant, because I think it's a huge mistake to seed ground to not have your own discussion about what you're seeing happen uh, and just let the other side just talk in their bubble and then you talk in your bubble and you don't try to come over and say look I'm you know let's talk about this pipeline you know um, here's why we don't like it here's why we're in court and uh, and I understand that you're upset about that Uh, when you have trouble getting a BC liberal on or when you have trouble if you're you're gonna eventually you know be critical of the NDP I have been by the way people call me a BC NDP show I've I've been critical no I know and so and then you'll have trouble getting NDP on does that (laughs) does that make a difference to you like is that is that a concern to you or is that just how it goes well, here's the thing. If I have trouble getting the BC NDP on, I'm coming to your doorstep, David Eby, and I'm saying, hey, man, what That's is this? That's why I live I'm- in a controlled access building, Mo. <laughs> <laughs> I'll wait. I'll, I'm a very patient man. No, I mean, I think you just have to move forward, right? And again, my podcast, thankfully, is not all politics. It's other influencers. It's entertainers. It's experts in their field, scientists, uh, other commentators. So you always kind of just move on and move forward. And this is the secret, by the way. The devil's favorite sin is vanity. And everyone likes to talk about themselves, especially politicians. And you will get someone who will take the bait, who who wants to talk. And there's just enough of you guys out there that I don't see myself completely being sequestered from everyone just by doing what I'm currently doing. You're a dime a dozen, David. Do you hear that? I do. <laughs> right between the lines. <laughs> yeah. I love coming on your show and talking about myself, Mo. You're right. I'm always going to show up to do that. <laughs> I'm just being honest. I'm just being honest. <laughs> well, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast today to talk about cancel culture and Aaron Gunn. We had a great time. And uh, if you haven't listened to most podcasts, I suspect that there's probably a pretty good listenership overlap between our podcast and your podcast. But I'm hoping to make that Venn diagram a perfect circle. My mom totally listens to most podcasts. <laughs> You know, moms are a big demo for me. Moms are a big demo for me. So. Well, you got David Eby's mom, allegedly. Um, so thanks so much for coming on the podcast today, Mo. We had a great time chatting. This was honestly my pleasure. Uh, Mr. Eby, please keep up the great work. A lot of people are counting on you. And I'm counting on you to come back on the show uh, later this year. Oh, it's a deal, Mo. Uh, thank you for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure. And uh, it is I'm, the city is better for having you in it. I'm glad you do the work you do. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you so much, guys. Take care. What a treat. Uh, really lovely to have Mo on. Um, I hope that our, our listeners enjoy it. We got some really great suggestions uh, when David asked last time for, for guests, and we're trying to line some of those up. So thanks so much for continuing to email in and let us know what you want to hear. Yeah, thanks for sending your guest suggestions. And uh, so nice to have Mo. I, um, you know, I know he relishes his independent status, but I, I feel that one of the big players is going to scoop him up at some point, if he wants to be, I guess. Um, he, uh, his voice feels very like the future of kind of journalism and where things are going as much as he resists that label. Yeah, I, I hear his rants on the internet and they resonate in a deep place in my soul often. So I, I, I am all for Mo remaining um, the independent journalist that he is, but man, would uh, any outlet be really lucky to have him. Well, um, thanks again for listening, everybody. Um, and we'll see you next week. See you next week.
Thanks again to Mo Amir for being our guest today. You can subscribe to Mo's podcast by going to thisisvancolor.com. The Dash is hosted by David Eby and me, Megan Solly. It's produced and edited by Duncan Watts Grant. Hey folks, I'm Mo Amir, this is CKNW, and this is your Van Color Moment. Have you heard of cancel culture? The idea that people are routinely shut out of social or professional circles, i.e. canceled, because they did or said something objectionable. It sounds like a mythical concept like the boogeyman or Bitcoin. The blowhards who cry cancel culture confuse freedom of speech, technically freedom of expression in Canada, with the imaginary freedom from consequence. Freedom of expression actually means that the government cannot criminally punish you for expressing yourself within reasonable limits, which excludes hate speech, obscenity, and defamation. And yeah, there are consequences if you are reprehensible, factually incorrect, or dangerous. That's not cancel culture. That's the real world. Losing your job for telling off your boss or getting kicked off Twitter for calling COVID a hoax are not violations of your freedoms. The Mounties aren't putting you in cuffs, and no, a statue doesn't count. Relax, O'Toole. And honestly, some people should be cancelled. Like Chilliwack school trustee Barry Newfeld for his transphobic comments and ableist slurs. That guy's supposed to be an advocate for your kids, Chilliwack. Or conservative MP Derek Sloan. Not only did he sully the namesake of a great Canadian band, he took money from an actual Nazi. Frankly, anyone that plays footsie with QAnon, anti-maskers, white supremacists, known gangsters, or the United Front should be ostracized. And if they're in government, well... Cancel those guys out of public office for life. We all agree that some speech and some non-criminal actions still warrant consequences. So excuse my puritanical opinion that cancel culture isn't real and the folks that do get canceled in this country deserve it. This has been your Van Color Moment with Mo Amir on 980 CKNW.